Hello and welcome back to the Fine Fragrance Podcast. Today, Michael Miller shares on what it is to stay in the soil, being rooted and grounded in worship in Jesus. Let's jump right in. Thank you. How about Zane? What a... What an anointed, handsome man of God. This is so cool. He was greeted us at the airport. You know what I remember yesterday is how hot the preacher was. Come on. She was amazing. Um, you guys were like, oh, yeah. I, uh, I read a book by Lauren Cunningham um, called Why Not Women. And I... I I grew up in a tradition where women, uh, women, women just weren't allowed to do much, and uh, and so when I when I met Larissa, <clears throat> I saw. I feel like the Lord supernaturally gave me eyes to see what He saw when He looked at her, and and preaching was not on her radar. Uh, when when she went she went to Pepperdine in California and she wanted to be a yeah she wanted to be a Bible major and and it was said to her well what would you do with that degree meaning meaning women women teaching the Bible or women in ministry just was taboo and so she didn't do it Pepperdine well not Pepperdine but the, the the tradition we grew up in and so I I feel like one of the one of the one of the things the Lord showed me is it who he saw her to be, but the voice that was inside of her. And, and I genuinely feel this. And men, this is, this is, I think, if you get married, when you get married, uh, a vision for your marriage is that you see the potential of that woman that you marry, and you cultivate that potential and you draw it out. That when, when I stand before the Lord, my life, the weight of my life, I don't think he's going to think of my Instagram <laughs> game or my, my sermon series or even my gifts that he endowed me to use, I think the first thing he's going to look at is my wife and judge me based on what I cultivated in her. And when I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, uh, he's going to evaluate my love for her because I'm to love her as Christ has loved me and what Christ did for me giving me a new nature, giving me a new creation, but he unlocked a potential that I could never manifest as a son of God. And the way that he's loved me and drawn that out of me is my calling. One of my primary callings is to draw that out. So whenever I hear her teach and preach, I just am like giddy because of who he designed her to be and what he put inside of her, the seeds. Because we all have seeds in our lives, and those seeds need soil, those seeds need nutrients, there's seeds in order for them to manifest, but within the context of a marriage, I believe husbands, our calling is to draw forth those seeds and cultivate the potential of what God has put inside of these women, and so, is she hot? Yes. Come on. Was I attracted to her? Yes. But, but beneath all of that, there's this beauty that, that has been unlocked, and I believe with all my heart that God is going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant for how I loved his daughter and drew that out. And so there's a vision for you, man, in dating. There you go. That's free. So get that book by Lauren Cunningham, Why Not Women? 
And uh, I believe that women are, are at the forefront. I, even this room is two-thirds women. Women at the forefront of what God's doing. And uh, I just, I just want to start out by saying, let's go, women of God. Uh, there's, there's the, the JL and Judges. I think it's like Judges 8, somewhere in the book of Judges, JL. She takes, she takes Israel's enemy into the tent, and she uses a domesticated like tool, a tent peg, which she would have been good at using, and she puts that to the forefront of, uh, what was the dude's name? Sisera. Sisera. She's like, come on in. I'll make you a meal, lie down, take a nap. <laughs> she drove that tin bag through his temple. Like, it's, it's violent. And I think there is uh, just this thing inside of women, the warring women. And then Judges 9, when the, uh, not Judges, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he, he says, bring out the wailing women. When the nation was in total rebellion and backslidden, he goes, bring out those wailing women. Bring them out. And they just started wailing before the Lord. And it was, again, another prescription for a move of God was the women of God began wailing and praying and began tapping into God's burden. And so if you're a woman in this room, why not women? <laughs> I love that. I'm going to write a book on women. Why not women? I mean, that's an epic title. So yay, Lauren. Um, so can we pray for the women just starting out? I just want to just want to pray that Holy Ghost would whack you today. I feel like we're in for a Holy Ghost whacking. Am I right? Who wants to get whacked by the Holy Spirit? I mean, whack me. He's going to play whack-a-mole today. He's going to in the best way. So would you pray for the women? And then we're going to dive into the word. All right. Y'all stand up. Ladies. Ladies. All right, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? When someone loves you like this, submitting to them is a no-brainer. It's a delight. It's a delight. Um, and so I pray that the Lord would help you give your yes to someone that, that will love you like Jesus loves his bride. So, Father, <clears throat> I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for freedom. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit being poured out on sons and daughters. How wonderful, Lord. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you that in your image you've created us male and female together, reflecting the beauty of who you are. So, Father, I pray for all these women's hearts. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and rest in greater measure. The Lord, that we, that we would not be raw, raw, women, but we'd be raw, raw Jesus, because he sets all of us free, and he's so worthy. You're a worthy king, 
Jesus. I thank you for all these beautiful hearts surrendered to you. So come, 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 even today, Lord, as Michael preaches. Come, 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 Lord. Write your word on our hearts in greater measure. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be present. God, without it, we cannot understand a thing. We are dull of heart and dull of hearing, but with you. With you, you transform us by the renewing of our minds, and this is what we ask for, and nothing less today. So open our minds to understand the scriptures, Lord. Let these women be moved by fire. Let them be lovers like Mary at your feet, Mary Magdalene at the tomb, and the woman at the well. Let us be wholly devoted to you, Jesus. You first. You first. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I am so excited about this morning. And, yeah, I just, you guys are beautiful people. I, uh, I've not been on a YWAM base, and I'm just, I just feel the fear of God. What, the history that's here what you're signing up for, the trajectory of your life. It's, it's no small thing. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's just real humbling. So I, I want to inv- ask two things that you would do for me. Um, one, would you, if you have a Bible, I really want you to get your Bible out. I'm going to walk you through three really important chapters. And, you know, if your Bible, if your Bible was a, if it was a landscape that you could walk upon, I would want these three chapters to be well-worn, that you would be very familiar with these three chapters, because the Bible's a big book, Yes. And it, it's daunting if, if you're like, dude, w- how do I even engage this thing? And, and I, I, would, I would highly encourage you to start with the chapters that we're going to walk through. Uh, it's, it's, it's three chapters, so I want you to get your Bible out, and then I want you to get a notepad. And you can use your phone, but I'm going I'm to give you, uh, I'm going to show you a process that the disciples went through and it's actually a process that every single person in this room, your heart will go through. And, and this process, oftentimes you don't, you don't know you're in it until you're out of it. And when you look back, if you could have seen what your heart was going through, uh, it would have alleviated a lot of pain, uh, a lot of uh, just hardship that, that we take on because we are not identifying the process that we're in. And, and so this process will help identify not only <clears throat> what you could potentially go through, but what many of you have already been through. And it was in the early days of the Upper Room. We, we did not name our church Upper Room. I would highly encourage any future church planners not to name your church Upper Room. Like, it's just not... 
It's not the best of names because Pentecost happens once a year. And if your church is named the upper room, big things better happen on Pentecost. Amen? Like the precedent for the upper room, it, it, it's, it's big time. So I wouldn't have chosen this name, but this business owner who invited us to start a prayer meeting, uh, he was a veterinarian of all things. We, we would cast out demons and send them into the dogs in the kennel downstairs. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, we didn't do that, but we, we were invited by a veterinarian to start this prayer meeting, and, and it, was, it was in the urban downtown area, and he said, just, just come and host prayer. We started uh, Passover, and I thought we would go through Pentecost, and so I found myself in a room, called the upper room, hosting prayer, being obedient, and what I learned is that this prayer room that was the upper room would become my personal burial ground. That's what prayer rooms are. It's, it's neat. It's cool. It's like, oh, I love, I love to go in for like an hour a week. But when you, when you start to spend a lot of time in that place, you're like, oh, my God, I'm dying. And the Lord's like, yes, that's the point. <laughs> I want to bury you. And, uh, and I think that's what your 20s are mainly about. It's you learning how to stay in the soil that God has buried you in. And he'll send you to YWAM, to Kona. And he's like, oh my God, I'm going to Kona! Kona! YWAM! And then all of a sudden you're like, I feel like I'm dying. You're in week nine. And week nine is probably the time where you're like, oh my God, this soil is really hard. It's challenging. Like, I, I, the people that I once, like, so enjoyed, I'm like, they're getting on my nerves. <laughs> it's like, I got to sit for another two and a half hours, and it's like, I'm dying. And the Lord's like, yes. Thank you for more water. I get a straw, too. My gosh. It's amazing. Back to dying. But here's the deal, young 20-something, your seeds have needs. And when you were born again, you were born of an incorruptible seed that God put inside of you, but that seed has a need, and it needs soil. And when you're buried in a soil, it's just not a beautiful process because so much is happening underneath that you can't see. And you constantly have this feeling like, I'm dying. Yes, you're dying. And that's the point. Like, to be a disciple of Jesus, we die daily. And so this DTS, YWAM community, it is really, really, really good soil for your seeds. And so allow the process to ensue. Embrace it. You know what's good for seeds and soil? Water is really good. Darkness is really good. Hiddenness is really good. Like this feeling of being cramped and you're tight and you're like, I feel like, oh, manure is really good for seeds. <laughs> Sometimes that. But all of this is a part of the process and it's, it's the process of God unlocking what he has placed inside of you. And it's his grace and mercy because he works, listen, the Holy Spirit does his best work with dead things. Am I right? Yeah. And so 
your help in the process is just staying dead <laughs> and learning to stay dead, learning to die to yourself, learning to die. It's just so crucial. And, 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 and the work, the soil for that process is your heart, your heart. And your heart, your heart is, is, is so crucial. It's crucial to know how you're designed spiritually. So you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. And so you are, you are a body, soul, and spirit. And when you got born again, you got born again in the spirit. Your spirit came alive. It was dead, and it came alive. Like when Adam and Eve died in the garden, they didn't physically die. Ultimately, they would. But the moment they ate it, they spiritually died. And when you got born again, you, you, were, you, were, you were made a new creation, but that was your spirit that was made new. Now, up until that point, you had been enslaved to your flesh, which was your body, the world, the desires, but all of a sudden, there was a hierarchical change. And so your soul, which is your heart, is, is subjected to something. It's either subjected to your body or it's subjected to your spirit, but your heart is the central processing unit of your being. Are you, are you following me here for a second? So, so Proverbs would give us insight about the heart. I just want to talk about your makeup so I can, I can talk you through the process that your heart goes through. But... Uh, so Proverbs chapter 4, it says, it says, above all else, guard your what? Above all else, guard your what? So write that one down. Proverbs 4.23, I think it is. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Why do we need to guard our heart? We guard our heart for from it, it's the wellspring of life. It's the wellspring of life. It's the filter for your life. So your heart is what your life flows through. So your experience of your life flows through your heart. Above all else, guard it. For it's the wellspring of your being. It's the wellspring of your life. So your heart is really, really important for you. To know your design, you need to know the purpose of your heart. And, and here's the beautiful thing is that when you got born again, can someone, I'm going to ask people to read scripture. I'm just going to point. So can someone get 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, and raise your hand when you got it? Okay, right, stand up, bro. What's your name? Cooper. What's up, Cooper? All right, Cooper, I need you to read this loud. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Now we're talking about the what? We're talking about the what? And the heart is the wellspring of? Okay, so hit this. You got to read it louder. Okay, that is, that is like a magnificent scripture. There's a lot of big words in there. There's a lot of big words, a lot of big words. But he uses the analogy of Genesis chapter 1. When God said, let there be light, he spoke into the, the, the formless, dark void, and he brought order to it. And so he's using that analogy when God said, let there be light, that when you got born again, the same thing took place, that God spoke light into your what? Into your heart. It was a specific place. He spoke light into your heart. And then he put the knowledge of his glory. Wow! The knowledge of his glory is inside of you. And the knowledge of the glory is actually the knowledge of him. But the knowledge of his glory is seen in the face of Christ. So what that scripture says is in your wellspring of life, he put his son's face. Jesus lives somewhere. 
Jesus lives somewhere, and he lives in your heart. Now, the heart's the wellspring of life, and so he put his face before your heart so that the wellspring of your, of your life flows through the face of Christ. So get this, anything that you're facing, anything that you're facing that your heart would face, anything that your heart would face, it's met by the face of Jesus. This is the born-again life, is that, is that it's like in, in Psalms 27, verse 4, when, when David said, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, you know, the beauty of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Well, if you read that, David wasn't sitting on a mountainside, like overlooking the Kona waterfall, like, oh my God, your beauty is what I seek. If you read it, David's in trouble. There's people trying to kill David. There's people trying to devour his flesh. He's been betrayed by relatives. I mean, just about any gnarly thing that can happen to a human is happening to him in Psalms 27. And yet he goes, you know what? I'm seeking your beauty. And what he's saying, in light of what I'm facing, I'm putting your face before it. And, and this is so crucial because what's ahead of you, young person? What's ahead of you, 20-something? What's ahead of you? You cannot rightly process life without the lordship of Jesus in your heart. You can't rightly face your sin. You can't rightly face other people's sin. You can't rightly face the calling before you without that face, understanding who lives inside of you and how to face all that you will face in light of the face that's inside of your heart. Does this make sense? Okay, so, so one of the most common commands throughout Scripture is do not lose what? Heart. It, well, it's actually don't fear, but, but, but in tandem with don't fear is don't lose heart. So the parable, of, uh, the parable of the persistent widow, Luke 19. You know the parable, like, like she just keeps praying. It's like the praying church, fire and some fragrance where prayer is a prayer, endures, persevering prayer. It's awesome. But it's a parable about not losing heart. Um, Galatians 6, it says don't grow uh, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in sowing in righteousness, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest of joy. But sowing and waiting, don't lose heart. Um, um, first, 2 Corinthians. Oh, this is a good one. Hey, you're still in 2 Corinthians 4, Cooper? You got me? Okay, read it, uh, 2 Corinthians 4. If you keep reading, this is, let's go there, everyone. 2 Corinthians 4 real quick. So look at, look at, look at, go up to chapter 318, but we all with unveiled faces. This is where the spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. We talked about this, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord is the spirit. So this is, this is you beholding the Lord in your heart with the spirit of the Lord. There's liberty. We talked about this yesterday. And then look at 4.1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? Beholding the Lord as we've received mercy, we do not lose what? Heart. So then we read verse 6. For God who said, let light, light shine into darkness, put the face of his son into your heart. Now go keep reading in the chapter and look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose. Though outwardly man is decaying, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That, that's renewal of heart. For, for momentary light affliction. <laughs> momentary light affliction. Say that with me. Momentary, momentary. light Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
While we're not looking at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are, are, are not seen are eternal. So here's the deal. We do not lose heart. Uh, we do not lose heart <clears throat> for momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory. Here's the thing is that whenever we're going through affliction, it, does nev- it never seems light or momentary. <laughs> but, but from an eternal perspective, he's saying, listen, it's producing an eternal glory. This affliction that you're facing, don't lose heart. Don't, 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 be, uh, don't become inwardly sick because of outward affliction. It's producing an eternal weight. So another, another one, more, one more, just this is all kind of diagnostic of the heart and just kind of laying out the, the landscape of the heart. Um, Proverbs says this, uh, uh, hope deferred makes the what? Let me say it again. Hope deferred makes the... Okay, so if your heart's sick, then, then your life is sick because the wellspring of your life is your heart. But it, this says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So sometimes affliction is things not turning out the way we thought they would. Affliction is, it's rub. It's when life happens. It's when things aren't going the way you thought they would. And so how we process that internally, if we don't process it well... Our heart can get sick, and if our heart is sick, our life is sick. Listen, I have a hurt ankle. Like, it's not like hurting right now, but I twist my ankle quite a bit. And when I twist my ankle, I can go, good God, that hurt. And I'm like, it's my ankle. And I can isolate the pain to my ankle, and I can go, wow, okay, I probably shouldn't run. Okay, wow, I, this, this is like in need of some ice. It's real easy to identify bodily pain, but when, when we're pained in our heart and our heart becomes sick it is sometimes very challenging to identify it because it's the filter that we view life through and so we have to be in touch in tune i'm not talking about getting introspective i'm talking about living free from external outward affliction trial turmoil that will happen but i just see a lot of janky hearts and wonky fruit in young people because they haven't identified how life has impacted their wellspring. And here's the deal is I, Jesus has paid a high price to live in that real estate of your heart. And it's not just so that you can live a wonky life and limp through thinking this is your plight. He paid a lofty price so that you could be freed. And that's what Larissa talked about yesterday, that spirit and truth liberate, but it liberates something specific and it's your heart. So that the wellspring of life, which is Jesus, can live there who came to give you life and life abundantly. So this is all like the appetizer before the meal. So I want to take you through, in in those early days of the upper room, I was so bored. Like, I was bored. And I was like, God, I I so wanted to go to the suburbs because I knew the suburbs. I could pastor the suburbs. But the homosexual community, like, it it just was a burial ground. It was a church planting graveyard. I watched these guys come down, high hopes, like we're going to change Oak Lawn, and it would chew them up, spit them out, and they would bounce to another neighborhood. But the Lord, in that process, going, hey, I didn't call you down here to minister to people. I called you down here to minister to me, kind of changed the metrics for me. And so I'm sitting in an empty room with this older lady who was an intercessor that taught me how to pray. And I'm bored. Like, I'm, I'm an evangelist. I want to go for souls. I, I, I want to build a church, God. You said, build the church. And he was like, I... I I know what I said. I'm fully aware of what I've said. You know, and I'm like, but you've got me in this room. And he goes, I know what I've said to you. 
You're to stay in the soil. And so I'm like, I'm just like, God, how many times can we show up and pray? And, and she would always pray for musicians and marriages. God, I just pray for musicians and marriages. We prayed that yesterday. God, I just pray for musicians and marriages. We prayed that last week. And, and we started that in 2010, 11. In 2013, I did just under 20 weddings, which is crazy. And then all these musicians showed up, which you guys, I'm sure y'all, I don't know if you know, uh, Upper Room, but we have a lot of amazing musicians. We just, our bench is deep, but I just remember little Jane Spring, like, musicians, marriages, God, musicians. And I'm like, God, can we stop praying that? Like, Lord, send us, like, God, you know, like, but I'm in this burial ground of, of, of this prayer room. And, and so here's what the Lord told me to do. He said, you're in the upper room. You're in the upper room. So I want you to read the upper room discourse. Now, I don't know if you know what the upper room discourse is. But the upper room discourse, if you have a red letter Bible, it is all red letters. It's all red letters. It's like, it's like the juicy, like most concentrated, concentra- concentrated a uh, few chapters of Jesus speaking to his disciples. And it is, it is his final words to his disciples. And so what I would do is, you know, bored. If you don't have a plan and you're bored, you can get in trouble. And so my plan was I'm going to listen to Jane Spring, pray for marriages and musicians. And, and then I'm going to read John 14, 15, 16, 17, multiple times a day. And so I just started wearing out this chapter like this. I just kept walking it and walking it and walking it and walking it. And about a year into it, I started to pick up on a theme. And the theme had to do with what Jesus was saying to his disciples. And it was, it was breadcrumbs because he knew the process that they were about to go through that they didn't know they were going to go through. But he, he, he shows them this process uh, that their hearts would go through. And I want to show you this process because I think if you can get this process as a 20-something it will not only set you free from where you've been and what you've been through, it will set you free and position you to go through life ahead of the curve. So John 14, you got your Bibles and your notes? I feel like praying in the spirit. This is it. Okay, John 14, 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, John 14, 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Wow, right out of the gates. Okay, so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, I, I want you to see John 14, 1 as kind of an umbrella. Think of it as a tent. We're in a tent. It works. So think of this as the covering for the conversation that he's about to have with him. All right? He's going he's gonna to start out with this, this comment. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe in me. But, but I, just, I want you to see this as kind of the, the overarching narrative of the Upper Room Discourse, specific to the 12 men that are before him. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So We've talked about the heart and the purpose of the heart, wellspring of life. It's your central processing unit. It's like how you experience life, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your will. This is the seat for all of those things. All of those things in your life sit on this this platform. 
your heart. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So troubled, you study out this word in John 5, uh, there was a, an invalid man that was sitting for 43 years, I think it was 43 years, near, near uh, the pool of Shalom. And do you remember, it says an angel of the Lord would come down and what? Stir the waters. So that word for stir is the same word used here for troubled. So what Jesus is saying, don't let what's happening externally stir you internally. Don't be stirred. Don't let life stir your heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, another theme in this word trouble, if you study the Old Testament, there's a, there's a common phrase that David uses often. He uses it actually in Psalms 27. He uses it, he uses it throughout. But it's, it's called the day of trouble. The day of trouble. Now, what's a day of trouble? A day of trouble is a 24-hour period where trouble shows up in your life. I don't know if you've had a day of trouble, but if you have not had a day of trouble, let me assure you, you will. Trouble comes. Trouble comes. It can come in the form of a phone call. It can come in the form of a doctor's appointment. It can come in the form of a broken relationship and betrayal. It can come in the form of uh, tragedy. I, I don't, you know, Jesus said, uh, he said that the storms come both to the foolish and the wise. So you're not immune to trouble. Just because you're in the Lord doesn't mean you're not going to go through things. And so when you go through things, it's important that you're prepared. The, the thing about the storms in Matthew 7 is it doesn't come to test actually the person. It comes to test what the person had built. And so how you build and what you build matters. But it's an internal building. It's an internal reality. And so... My, my thesis for this morning and what I want to present to you is that trouble's impact, trouble's impact for you should only have a 24-hour uh, initiation. That's the best way to put it. Meaning once trouble initiates your life, I think God will meet you in that 24-hour period. It doesn't mean that there's not a process that you've got to go through. My, my sister-in-law just buried her mother yesterday, died of stage four ovarian cancer, very quick. It, it was it's very, she's a, kind of the matriarch of the family. Um, you know, we, we've, I've gotten phone calls from people whose relatives have committed suicide. I've gotten phone calls from a spouse, my pastor, 25 years. I have been, I've been, I've had a front row seat to people's day of trouble. Uh, we had a uh, young, 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 three-year-old in our, our, our upper room family uh, last September on Labor Day. We're at Labor Day, and we got one of those calls. Uh, I married them, but their three-year-old son had drowned in a pool, was being care-flighted. It's a day of trouble. Um, I've, I've had, I've, I've, I've know a family that had the murder of small children. Like, I can, I can give you stories Trouble comes. And, and trouble has most likely come to, to most in this room. Like for me, one of, the, one of the processes that the Lord led me through, when I got born again, I, I came to the Lord very broken. And one of the areas of brokenness, can we get real? Was sexual brokenness. And, and a day of trouble for me was when I was uh, at a friend. I think I was 12, 13. can't remember the exact age. I know it was summer. I was spending the night at his house, and someone had done things to him, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and he was attempting to do those things to me. 
Now, that's how I was introduced to my sexuality. I'm 46 years old, I've got four kids, and I'm still waiting for my dad to give me the birds and bees talk, right? My, my parents just, that was taboo. We didn't talk about sex, it was just figure it out on your own, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's the environment you grew up in, but we all have an orientation to that side of ourself, but mine was very unhealthy. And so what I ended up doing, because of the shame and the guilt, is I started living from that brokenness. And, and part of the Lord entering into that dilapidated, condemned, shut down, like, who would want to live in this heart? Jesus said, I do. And when he moved in, he began a process of sanctification. I wish it was like, bada boom, bada boom, you're healed. But, man, I, I entered into my faith with a limp, and Jesus put grace upon me in my 20s to really grow and sanctify that area of my life. I'm 46 now, and I can, I mean, I, I am so grateful for what he's liberated me from. But that process is still happening even today. I have a healthy marriage. I've, we have such a good marriage. Such a good marriage. And, and, and she was a part of that process for me, and we're still walking that out together. But my day of trouble was when I was 13. And, and, and so that day, though, had lasting impact for the next couple of decades. Like, I mean, it, it had lasting impact. And, and sometimes I don't think we identify trouble's impact upon our hearts. And, and, and my concern in this hour is, is, is that we have healthy disciples of Jesus. The the whole loving him, the whole adoring him, the whole bringing your empty cup before him, it liberates your heart. And and you're going to do wonderful things for Jesus. You're going to do wonderful things for Jesus. The calling is here and present, but I want you to do wonderful things for Jesus with a healthy heart, with a heart that's whole and been liberated. And so Jesus starts out this, this, this canopy of the discussion is don't let your hearts be what? Troubled. So identifying the trouble that has taken place. But here's the deal is that the disciples were about to go through a night of trouble. Their day of trouble had arrived. The the expectations that they put on Jesus, like where they thought they were going and where they would end up, are are, there's going to be a massive gap in their heart that needs to be reconciled. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The disciples' heart are about to get sick. And I'm going to show you the process that their hearts went through. Is this cool? John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so Jesus is going to start talking, and I want you to know from the get-go, the disciples are going to catch about 10% of the following verses. They are going to be, we're going to watch them fall into sickness of heart. I'm going to show you this process. And it starts here. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go, everyone say I go. I go to prepare a place for you. If, say the words. Oh, I go. (laughs) If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. So this is going to be, this is going to be a thread throughout this, is Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I'm leaving you. I'm about to go somewhere, and you can't come. Now, this isn't what the disciples wanted to hear. But Thomas has a question. Verse 5. It's a good question. It's a question based on a lack of knowledge. And so he wants to know what Jesus is talking about. And so he says, Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going. 
How do we know the way? Valid question, amen? So Jesus gives like the clearest answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. So this makes sense to us, but to them in the moment, they're like, ah, that, is that really the place that you're going to? Where, where is it that you're going? Because we want to know so we can go there with you. Hey, I'm the, tr- I'm the way, the truth, and the life. How do we know the way? And, and there's two questions that the disciples ask out of that. And these two questions, if you're taking notes, which you all are because I asked you to, these two questions are questions that trouble forces your heart to answer. The first one is, Lord, where are you? Write that down. Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? So trouble will force your heart to answer this question, Lord, where'd you go? Lord, where were you when this happened? Question number one, Lord, where were you? Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known, verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip has another question. Philip's question is this, Lord, Show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough to us. And so Jesus is like, have I been with you so long that you've yet to come to know me, Philip? Meaning, if you've seen me, you've seen him. But here's here's the other question that trouble forces us to answer. First one is, Lord, where are you? The second one is, Lord, what are you like? Lord, what are you like? And, And here's just the ration, the reasoning that we go through. In our carnal, like, what our heart does. It goes, Lord, if, if you were with me, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you when that moment happened? Put it when I was 13. I'll use my story. When I was 13, where were you at that moment? And then it's like, well, well if you weren't, if you weren't where you said you were going to be, then, then what are you really like? I, like? I hear that you're good, but this doesn't look like your goodness. This, you, I hear that you're faithful, but man, this does not look like your faithfulness. So trouble attempts to redefine the nature and position of the Lord in our lives. Trouble attempts to define the Lord's nature and position in our lives. Like I was just with one of our influencers. Uh, I don't even know if I've never called them influencers, but they are. They're these TikTok kids that are like, the, don't scroll, don't scroll, don't scroll, don't scroll. Jesus loves you, don't scroll. Jesus loves you, one of those kids. Uh, <laughs> who is an amazing guy. And uh, uh, he just lost his father. He lost his father tragically, tragically last week. Um, He's engaged. His dad was going to be his best man in his wedding. It, it was not supposed to happen. He, he woke up having coffee with his mom and collapsed on the, uh, on the uh, hallway floor and rushed into the hospital, and he had a cardiac failure, died. And so I landed in Kona. I didn't know about it. I was in Kona and, and, and checked my, my phone. I was like, hey, Tim's, Tim's dad suddenly passed. And so we're driving here following Zane, and I'm calling Tim. And I'm like, hey, bud, dude, I'm so sorry, man. And he's broken. And I told him this. I, I told him this. I said, hey, listen, there's, there's going to be some questions. Like, 
This tragedy is going to force questions that only the presence of Jesus can answer. Like, that's the, that's the promise oftentimes. And you're going to see this. Jesus is actually going to introduce the helper. We're going to see that here in a second. But the help isn't like, he's not like, you know, getting you a front row parking lot at Starbucks. Like, he can do that. But that's not the help that Jesus is going to talk about. He's talking about an inward help, an inward counsel, an inward reality, someone that's with you and in you to help source you for moments like where Timothy's at. And we're going to walk through a process. But I'm like, hey, bud, this is the day of trouble. We talk about it a lot in our, 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 our church. As a pastor, which I pastor a ton of people, I am like, hey, I, my job is to equip you to face these things. Hey, do you remember the day of trouble? This is it. Find him. And so, so trouble attempts to, to, to force those two questions. Where are you and what are you like? You with me? Okay. So Jesus is going to continue. Um, and he's going to start talking about prayer. Now, this is, this is one of those verses that's, <laughs> it used to bother me. So he's going to say, uh, believe in me. Um, verse 11, believe me. I'm in the Father. Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will also do greater works than these. He will do because I go to the Father. We love this verse. Like, greater works, yes, let's go for the greater works. Um, and then verse 13, he's going to talk about prayer. So this is fire and fragrance, am I right? Fire and fragrance. I'm learning all your acronyms. This is F and F, correct? And then we got the, the Rev and Ref, which is a new one for me. So, uh, so fire and fragrance about prayer, am I right? Okay, so this is a, this is a text about prayer. So if you're going to be like, if you're going to be advanced in prayer, you need to know what Jesus is talking about in the scriptures that we're about to read. All right? I mean, if you're going to DTS, hey, I graduated, fire and fragrance. Okay, tell me about John 14, 12 and 13. 14. Because 13 says this, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. If you ask me anything in my name, that I will do it. Now, how many of you have ever asked something in Jesus' name, and you're like, really? Like, I will do it. Okay. What happened? <laughs> like, so th what we end up doing is we're like, we quote these scriptures, but we disconnect our heart from them. Because it's like, ah, oh, that's just, he's faithful, and one day he'll answer this. And, but in the place of prayer, like, if we're going to be people of prayer, this is a crisis of faith. Like, faith is being certain of what you hope for. Uh, hope deferred makes the heart so if you're praying for things and they don't turn out the way you thought they would, guess what happens? It affects your internal life. It affects that wellspring. So we've got, to, we've got to grapple with scriptures like this. Like whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, that I will do. Now, I don't know about you, but whatever and anything covers just about everything. <laughs> All right? Whatever, anything but sometimes it's like, okay, I ask whatever, and it's like, well, whatever, whatever. And so we end up, we come to prayer, but uh, 
And so what does Jesus mean by this scripture? Because this to me, this to me is going to source the disciples and I will show you where it sourced them in just a second. But I think this is connected to the conversation of trouble. Because Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. You ask anything, I will do it. So look at verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So this is you doing something. But what will we do connected to the verse 16? I will. Now, what does Jesus say? If you ask anything, I will do it. If you ask me whatever, I will do it. Now, you obey me because in verse 16, I will. I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that may be with you forever. So what's the revelation? The revelation is this. In your whatever or in your anything, what Jesus will do is he'll send you help. And the help is in the form of the Holy Spirit. Every prayer we pray is answered by him sending the helper. He asks the Father, the Father sends a helper. Now the key is us developing and cultivating an awareness of the helper in our lives. Because God never, rarely, never, he rarely takes us in a straight line. Like you'll start talking, I remember I was talking to him about my finances one time, I'm like, Lord, God, we were, it was when we were planning up a room. It was when I was miserable. And, and I'm like, I'm marriages and babies. And then I'm looking at my bank account, and I was supposed to be selling insurance, but I was praying with Jane and reading John 14, 15, 16, 17. And I wasn't making any money. And so at the end of the month, it was just not enough money, and, and I got Larissa pregnant. We were pregnant. And we were living off her income, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for this baby. We didn't have insurance. I'm like, Lord, this is my whatever. I need money. I need money. You know, like, how many of you need money? You're like, okay, okay, okay. So I'm like, money, Lord. And, and so all of a sudden, I'm like sitting there, and I'm like praying about money and the birth of my baby. And, and I, I heard in my spirit, I wrote it down, give your car away. I'm like, uh, no, I, I need money. <laughs> no, 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 you, you, you should give your car away. Well, Lord, I, I had this white forerunner. And uh, I know it was my baby. It was perfect. I paid way too much for it. It was a prophetic car, white, purity, forerunner, John the Baptist. That was my baby. Like, I got this prophetic history with this baby. And I'm like, I give my forerunner away. And I think, did you have a dream about it? Or you had... I laid it before Larissa, and she's like, okay, well, let's keep praying. So we keep praying, and I just keep felting conviction. And then this guy showed up. He was, uh, he was working with Lance Walnow. Lance Walnow's assistant, a good, good friend of mine. Jonathan Weald comes. And um, I felt like the Lord said, that's who you're to give your car to. And so I went up to Jonathan. I'm like, hey, buddy, uh, I, I, do you have a car? <laughs> I wasn't, like, committed. I didn't want to go, hey, I'm supposed to give you a car. I'm like, do you have a car? He's like, no, I don't have a car. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, well, I felt from the Lord that maybe I'm to give you my car. He's like, I've been praying for a car, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, I've, I think I'm supposed to give you my white forerunner that I paid a high price for that I have this long prophetic history with that I love so much, but I want to give it to you. And so he, uh, he ends up, he's like, okay, I'm going on a trip, though, with Lance, and I'm not going to be around for a bit, so I'll pick it up. So two months go by. This is like July. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I was faithful, obedient. He doesn't want the car but I need money, you know, like, I'm still praying about this same thing, and, um, 
And so Jonathan calls me out of the blue. Uh, Hannah was born, our oldest was born September 17th. So it's end of August. Jonathan calls me and he's like, hey, dude, I need the car. Oh, and by the way, I was going to sell the car. It was, 4, 000, it was worth $4,000. And the birth was $4,000. So that was my plan. I was going to sell the car. And, uh, and, uh, and so the Lord's telling me to give away the car. So here I am. I'm thinking I'm going to sell the car because Jonathan's not calling me. He calls me, random call. I'm, I'm near the upper room. Can I get the car? I'm like, yes, you can get the car. So he comes up, and I'm like, here's the keys, and he drives away. And then I realized I should have asked for a ride back to my house and have a ride, so I walk back to my house. <laughs> and um, I know, I'm, this is the state of, yeah. So, so I go home, and I'm like, honey, we're, we're a one-car family now. And, uh, and she's like, oh, hey, good that we have a car because we have a dinner tonight. And we went to uh, dinner with a couple that we'd never been to dinner with before. Go to their house, and we're, you know, it was good. They're asking about the church. And, and he, this dad kind of corners me at the end of the table. And he's like, hey, hey, bud, can I, can I ask you a couple questions? I was like, sure. He goes, uh, how are your finances? I'm like, they're fine. I'm doing good. And he's like, are you taking a salary from the upper room? Oh, a little bit. I wasn't, but I just didn't know the guy. And I was like, he goes, well, your wife's pregnant. How, how are you going to pay for the birth of your baby? I was like, well, I'm praying about it, you know. And, uh, and then he's like, well, how much debt do you have? And we had acquired a little debt down there. And long story short, as I'm leaving, he hands me this envelope. I get in the car, and I said, honey, he gave me this. We open it up, and it's a check for 14 grand. Wow. Like, within, within three hours, the Lord's like, you know, like, I will send you help. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal is that as, as beautiful as that testimony is, as beautiful as that testimony is, what the Lord was doing is the Lord was teaching me about his nature. And he was teaching me about him as a provider. He was inviting me into a revelation and the knowledge of him. Where are you, Lord, and what are you like? You're with me and you're leading me, but your ways are not my ways, and my reasonings before you are useless. You just want me to be faithful and obedient to your voice. So if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. The commandments, he's not talking about the Torah. You need to obey those. Like, those are a given. But he's talking about that inward nudge and reality and directing. But if your heart is janky, if your heart's wonky, how are you going to be able to tell? And so Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit in the context of the disciples asking questions under the umbrella of don't let your heart be what? Troubled. But you've got to see that this is the answer to the trouble that they're about to face. You get it? Okay, do we, do we want to take a little five-minute break? You guys good? All right, I'm, I'm good. I just, we're just about to get whacked. I want to make sure you're ready. Okay, so don't let your hearts be troubled. Number one, this is point number one, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then the introduction of the Holy Spirit. And then follow me. Jesus is going to keep talking. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about the one that lives in you. He's going to talk about, uh, um, he's going to abide in you. He's going to help you. Verse 26, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. He will bring to you remembrance all that I said. Verse 27, look at 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then look, he's going to say it again. Do not let your what? Heart be troubled. And then he's going to introduce another impact that trouble would have upon a heart. Don't let your heart be what? Fearful. So don't let your hearts be troubled, nor let your heart be fearful. Look, 28. You have heard that I said to you, I go away. This is the common theme. Jesus is telling them something they don't want to hear. Jesus is leading them in a place they don't want to go. But he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. I go away, but I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I go to the Father. The Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the rule of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. So they leave the upper room, and they're heading to the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of 14. Now they're probably walking by a vineyard. Jesus never misses an opportunity. Give a metaphor about his love. He does that. John 15, 1 through 11, which is amazing text. But I want, to, I want to pick up in verse 18. So Jesus is going to turn the heat up even more. Not only is he saying, I'm going somewhere that you can't go, but Jesus is going to talk about persecution. And, and here, ooh, I feel this, especially with this group. <clears throat> mm. uh, one of the things that I haven't heard taught on a lot, and I bet YWAM may have a, a degree in this, I don't know, um, but I, I, in, in North American, Dallas, Texas, we don't talk about martyrdom a lot, but martyrdom is central to the gospel message, not just spiritually dying, but you willing, you're willing to give your life for the Lord, and I had an encounter in 2017 before kind of upper room became a thing, we were just in this hidden place, and our church broke out in travail prayer for about four months. But one of the phrases, I just don't want to get down this rabbit hole too far, but the Lord, I saw all these millennials and Gen Zers coming into the kingdom. The Lord spoke a phrase so clearly to me, just marked my life. It's why I started the message out this way. He said, teach him to die. Teach him to die. And, um, and you know, it says to live is Christ and to die is gain. You heard that? But I think in order to know to live as Christ, you have to embrace to die as gain. And he's not talking about spiritually, he's talking about physically. That death, 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 death is a gateway. It, there's a reward. And the reward is, is that we see him. <laughs> and Jesus is going to start introducing martyrdom to them in this chapter. Now, this is not, the disciples argued over who's, gonna, who's the greatest and who's going to sit at his right hand. They were not, it was not like <laughs> on their grid that they're going to give their life for Jesus, but everyone but John would. And so verse 18 is where this starts. Check this out. If the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. The world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all of these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they did not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, again, Holy Ghost, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you. This is, this is where Jesus really turns up the burner. Like he turns it on full high here. The water's about to start boiling. He says, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. He, he just told them they're going to die. And the people that kill the disciples will think they're doing a service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father in me, verse 4. But these things I have spoken to you so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I've told you them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Verse 5. This is, this is crucial. Watch what happens to the disciples here. We're, we're, we're studying Jesus' words, and there's some, there's some big theology here. I'm not going to tap into that. I want to focus on the process the disciples are going through. So look at verse 5. This is so crucial. Jesus says, but none, but now, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, here's, here's an indicator that your heart, your heart is starting to turn off towards the Lord. You stop asking him questions that you want to ask him. Thomas, in John 14, verse 5, he asked the question, where are you going? But Jesus is telling them things that they don't want to hear, and their hearts are closing off to his voice. Their hearts are getting hardened. And their hearts are getting hardened because they're, they're, they lack understanding. And, and, and so they stopped asking where you were going, even though they were asking where you are going at the beginning of this conversation. But look at verse 6, because we're going to see the heart again. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What filled their heart? Now, what's the heart? The heart's the wellspring of life. Jesus started it out, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. But as he's telling them what he's telling them, their hearts are falling into the trouble and into the fear. And the result of that is their hearts are filling up with sorrow. So if you're taking notes, which you all are because I asked you to, point number one is don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. But if your hearts become troubled, if your hearts become fearful, sorrow will fill your heart. What is sorrow? Sorrow is a substance. If you study out sorrow, sorrow is a literal substance. Now, do you know what else is a substance? Faith is a substance. 
just like faith is the hopeful expectation of things to come, what fear produces is a dread. And that dread produces a substance in your heart where faith should exist. Fear produces a substance and it's called sorrow. And sorrow shuts your heart down. So sorrow is filling their heart. We're going to remember, remember this word sorrow and inside their heart because we're going to see the effects of sorrow in their heart here in just a second. So the disciples are, they're, they're internally, they're just kind of getting glassed over. They're getting glossy. Like, I see your lips moving and I hear your words, Jesus, but you lost me back when you said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. Like, they're, they're, they're starting to be swayed. And, and so Jesus is going to keep keep talking about the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 7. But I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So again, he's going to talk about the advantage of the helper coming. But this is all about the heart. And he who, and, and he, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, righteousness. He's talking about the effects of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whenever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. Um, Again, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. He will glorify me. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, he will take what is of mine. He will disclose it to you. And then verse 16, Jesus is still talking in this, this code. A little while, you will see me. No, I'm sorry, a little while, you will no longer see me, and then a little while, you will see me. What is he talking about? Verse 17, look at this. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing that he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me, because I go to the Father. Here's another fruit of a heart that's being impacted by sorrow and trouble. Is it the questions that you once asked Jesus you stop asking to him, so guess who you turn to? You to turn to his disciples. You start to live, instead of in personal relationship with him as your heart closes off, you start to develop a secondhand relationship with the one that's right in front of you. They could have asked the question to Jesus himself. He's standing right there, but he said, you stopped asking the question, and now you're no longer asking me, but you're asking each other. It's an indicator that your heart's going wonky. We need to pay attention to the questions our heart is asking and who we're taking those questions to. Oh, this is better than you realize. Your questions are important. But this is where waywardness comes. You know, all, uh, all but one disciple would... would would, would leave Jesus. Jesus is about to go into the dark night of the soul. Jesus is about to go away. And, and, <clears throat> and the questions are indicators that something is happening internally. So uh, let me finish this off real quick. Uh, look at verse 19. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this? A little while longer you said, see me. A little while you won't. Truly I say to you, you will weep 
and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve. So that word for grieve is sorrow, but your grief will be turned to joy. So Jesus is going to start prophesying to them. Follow me. Next two verses. If you kind of, I know it's long teaching, but tap in here, these two verses real quick. Verse 21. Whenever he's going to give a parable, an analogy. Whenever a woman's in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Verse 22, look at this. Therefore, here's the, the, the application to the metaphor. Therefore, you too have sorrow now, grief now, but I will see you again. Everyone say that. I will see you again. This is a prophecy. I will see you again, and when I see you again, look at this, 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 this. Your, 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 your heart. He's talking about the heart again. Your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. So what is the strength of a believer? The joy of the Lord is my Okay, so he's prophesying to them. There's going to be a moment where you're going to see me with your eyes. You're going to see me. And when you see me internally, something's going to shift. Now, I will show you the exact moment this happened. But before I do, we've got to see how sorrow plays out in the disciples' heart. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22, Luke 22. Same, same night, same story, different author. And this is specifically dealing with prayer, fire and fragrance. Come on, prayer experts. Man, this is, this is like slap your mama good. This is a really good chapter, verse right here. You don't know about slap your mama. Luke twenty two thirty nine. He came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, "Pray that you may not enter into temptation." And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he began to pray. So from the upper room discourse, they go into prayer. All right, go into prayer. Now, I think this story you're familiar with, but let's rethink through it, just with a renewed mind, fresh perspective. Uh, it's a strange thing that he says to his disciples. Hey, don't, don't fall into temptation. I'm going to go pray. So what's your name? James. That's a good name. That's my son's name. James is a man, yeah. Um, so if I was like, James, hey, let's pray together, man. You want to pray? And so come here. Let's sit right here. Let's pray together. Come here. I'm like, hey, but I'll pray with you in just a second. But sit down. Sit down. Hey, while you're praying, don't give in to temptation. Now, and I start, and I come over here, and I'm having my own prayer meeting. Now, I don't know about you, James, but if I said that in the place of prayer, like just as friends going to pray, you're going to kind of manifest a little bit. You're going to be like, what does Miller think I'm going to do in the place of prayer? Like, because if you fall into temptation, you're falling into what? Sin. So he's got to be like, does, does Miller think I'm like, is it a phone issue? <laughs> does he think like I, I brought a flask to prayer? Like, like, 
Sin is a transgression, right? He says, don't fall into temptation. It has to do with sin in the place of prayer. It's a strange thing for Jesus to say that to his disciples. Would you kind of think weird if I'm like, hey, James, don't sin? What? Yeah, who does he think I am? Does he think I'm backslidden? Does he think, I mean, it'd just be a weird thing to say. Okay, go sit down. I think James. It'd just be a weird thing to say. Like, I, 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 it's a weird thing to say, but Jesus, Jesus knew something that the disciples did not. And, and this temptation is present anytime we come into the place of prayer based on the state and condition of our heart. Because I want to show you that the disciples definitely fell into temptation. So follow the process here. Don't, uh, don't give into trouble. Don't be fearful. I'm telling you these things, and sorrow is filling your heart. But as sorrow is filling your heart, in the place of prayer, don't give in to temptation. So let's keep reading. So verse 42, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus goes into an intense place of prayer. Verse 43, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So Jesus strengthens himself. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So Jesus is redeeming, actually, the man, the will of mankind. This is the first bloodshed out of the Lamb of God. It's worth mentioning. Every drop of blood that Jesus shed was with intent and purpose. There wasn't a wasted drop of blood. The most powerful substance that ever touched the face of the earth is the blood of Jesus. It's more powerful than any weapon, virus, bacteria, sin, rebellious decision. This blood, it had eternal ramifications. And I believe the Holy Spirit collected all the blood and put it at the mercy state in the eternal sanctuary. So Jesus, in the place of prayer, he's wrestling with his will. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And the little capillaries on his forehead, because of the stress, burst. And the blood of Jesus is shed for the first time. He redeems our will right here. The blood of Jesus is redemptive, and it redeems our will. Not mine, but yours be done. That's happening right here. But look at what's happening to the will of the disciples in verse 45. When he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because they were tired. That's not what the scripture says. What does it say? Why did they fall asleep? They did not fall asleep because they were tired. They fell asleep because of the sorrow that was in their heart. Where did the sorrow come from? It came from John 16, 5. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. Follow me. Write this out. This is the pattern of the heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. But as you walk through the trouble and the fear, this substance fills your heart called sorrow. Jesus goes into the place of prayer. He says, don't give in to the temptation, so sorrow presents a temptation, and the temptation is that you fall asleep spiritually. The sin was the sin of unbelief. They had fallen completely into unbelief because of the process that Jesus was going through. They did not understand it because they did not understand it. They closed their hearts off completely, and they internally fell asleep. You know that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, prayer is the great revealer. <laughs> sorrow's, sorrow's effect on the disciples 
led them to falling asleep. And And right after this, verse 47, look at this. Right after, Jesus is like, why are you sleeping? Why, why are you sleeping? Footsteps. As he was still speaking, a crowd came, and Judas kisses Jesus. And he's taken from the disciples. Why did Peter betray, or why did Peter... Uh, Deny Jesus. We see where his heart's at. Why were none of the disciples? Heart was. You know, your heart is so precious to the Lord. And 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 I'm I'm dogging on the disciples, but Jesus prophesying of a coming reality that they were not quite in. And the reality is that the Holy Spirit did not live in them yet. And so their hearts were actually incapable of rightly processing the trouble because they weren't born again yet. And, and I, I, am, I am more aware, at, the older I get, more aware that we are incapable of facing and rightly dealing with trouble, sin, the effects of sin in our lives without the Holy Ghost and without the cross. And, and here's what would happen to Jesus. So you, you know that Jesus would be taken um, from, from here. He would go to, uh, uh, is it Caiaphas's house where the Sanhedrin met? And, and it would be the middle of the night that, that they would, they would the, 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 uh, the, the, the work of salvation starts. So it started with the blood sweat. That's where the work of salvation, Jesus' work on the cross, the finished work of the cross began there in the garden. And then they would go to uh, Caiaphas's courtyard, and it was there that Jesus would be, be, be hit, pull his beard out. Isaiah 52 talks about that, he'd pull his beard out. Um, from there, he would be taken to uh, the Praetorium, which I think is, I think it's Pilate ruled there. You got Pilate and Herod, they were exchanging Jesus back and forth. But in the Praetorium is where uh, he would be falsely tried, and you know, they say, give us Barabbas, and then what do you want us to do with this Jesus, King of the Jews? And they say, crucify him, crucify him. And so before he was crucified, he was put on the whipping post and the flagellum, which was this uh, Roman guard named uh, uh, a lictor who had a flagellum, and the end of the flagellum was this uh, bone and rock and, and pottery, and he was trained to whip the, the victim and, and literally the ribbons of flesh would come off of his back, and those ribbons were for our healing, spiritual, physical, emotional healing. By his stripes, we've been what? Healed. So, so like that, it's with intent. I talk a lot about that. That's why communion so important. That bread, that judging the body rightly, it's for your wholeness. Healing's the children's bread, so that bread is the stripes on his back. Uh, from the praetorium, they would throw a crown of thorns on his head. He's redeeming the crown of glory and honor. And blood again once would come for him. The thorns, the thorns are really thick. He would be taken to Calvary, the place of the skull, where he would be, uh, you know, nails would go into the hollows of his hands and feet. 
and very precise, like the Romans were really good at crucifixion. Um, the nails would fit the hollows of the hand perfectly so that the, the, the victim wouldn't, wouldn't bleed out. Um, and, and the process of crucifixion would ensue, anywhere from a three to six hour process. And, uh, uh, and you know, Jesus, Jesus <clears throat> the typical way someone would die on a cross would be through suffocation. And that's why they would come and they would, the, the victim on the, on, the, on the crucifix, on the cross, they would break the legs of the one being crucified because they could no longer push up to breathe. And so they couldn't pull up on their hands, so they would just die through suffocation. It's an extremely, like, gruesome way to die. But we know that none of Jesus' bones were broken. That's a prophecy, I think, out of Psalm 22. Because when they came to Jesus... To break his legs, they, they, they realized he was already dead. And they threw the, the, the spear at his side. And what came out of his side? Blood and water. Blood and water. And, and that's a, it, 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 it shows you medically what was happening to Jesus. Because in Psalms 22, it says his heart melted like what? Wax. And what that meant is that the, the water, that all of us have a, a, a percentage of water in our blood that, that causes our blood to flow. But because of the stress that his body was enduring, the water in his blood literally separated and his blood became like placky wax. And so Jesus didn't die from suffocation. Jesus died from heart failure. His heart literally oh, died of a broken heart. It, that's an important fact of the crucifixion. His death was with intent. Everything he went through was with intent for you. Everything for you, for your condition, for my condition. Our hearts were broken. And that, 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 that 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he spoke light into darkness, shone the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of his son into your broken heart. <laughs> that central processing unit, the wellspring of life. It's where death seated itself on your Savior. But it was with intent so that you wouldn't have to live with a broken heart anymore. So that you could be liberated. So you could be liberated. Where? Here. You're given a new heart. And It's such a coveted place. You, this part of your being, he can dwell anywhere, anywhere, but he's chosen that. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. No, no. Look at what I've done. Like, like we live from that work. And and that work, the work of salvation, 
supplies your redemption, and the redemption is that you are given a new heart so that you can live free. Are you following me? So, I mentioned the Holy Spirit. Like, I love, there's just so many dimensions of this. Like, Jesus, like, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away. Well, I mean, what he endured, the cross he endured, the shame he endured, like, the work, the work of salvation, the finished work of salvation, it was so thorough for you. And, and the Holy Ghost comes into that, that lifeless, dead body of God's Son and resurrects him. Resurrects him. <laughs> he resurrects him. And, and that's good news, man. Jesus is resurrected. And so, so go to John 20 real quick. Do you remember the prophecy I shared with you? Do you remember the prophecy out of John 16? What, a woman's going to give birth, and you grieve and suffer, but when the birth comes, what happens? You rejoice, and then you'll what? See me again, and when you see me again, your heart will what? Your heart will rejoice. Your heart will get joy. So let's go to John 20 real quick. What was the prophecy when you what? When you... See me again. Jesus saying that. So John 20, it's the empty tomb. And Mary Magdalene came early. And And this is, this is the resurrection account. Mary's standing outside weeping because the tomb's empty. In verse 12, she saw two angels in white. She didn't recognize them as angels. Actually, no, she did. One, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away the Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. <laughs> Still that same question, where are you, Lord? When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to the woman, Wyland, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. Isn't that amazing? His first description as a resurrected man was a gardener. We're back at Eden. But see this also as the, the soil of your heart. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. And I will take him away. I just can't imagine how touched Jesus was at that moment. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God. Into your God. So, so Mary has this encounter with the resurrected Lord. In verse 18, this is the first time the gospel is ever preached in the Bible. You ready for the first gospel message? Here it is. And by the way, it's a female. First evangelist in the Bible is Mary Magdalene. And this is the first gospel message. It's only five words. 
Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Verse 19. What's amazing to me is the disciples weren't born again yet. That wasn't enough. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, I'm going to stop just to add this detail. Um, we went through a process. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. Because I've said these things, what's filling your heart? Sorrow. Don't give in to temptation. Come back and I find them asleep from, so they fell into unbelief. And I think John 20, the verse we just read, is a great metaphor for a heart that's been through this process. They were shut down, locked up, consumed with fear. You following that? So look at what Jesus does. Jesus walked through their walls. <laughs> the resurrected Jesus, he just came on in. And he stood in their midst. And do you know what he said to them? He said, peace be with you. And John 20, 20 is the fulfillment of the prophecy out of John 16. Look at this. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then, everyone say that word, rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What happened? They saw the Lord and their hearts rejoiced. Their hearts got whole in this moment. Why? Because they saw the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And look at what Jesus does in the next verse. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. They got born again right here. When did they get born again? They got born again when they saw, when they got a glimpse in their sorrow, in their trouble, in their fear, and they're locked down, shut down. The eyes of their hearts saw the reality, the resurrected, risen Lord. And internally, they rejoiced. Internally, it was like the sorrow in their heart was flushed out. And he gives them the helper. He gives them the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a powerful process? So practically, what does that mean? Um, I, I think it means this. I think the Holy Spirit will, will itemize, specifically itemize help for you and your heart. In your trouble, no matter how big or small it is, um, I'm convinced that, that when trouble comes, if you can get this, Jonah, if you can get this, 
we fight the good fight of what? We know that? We fight the good fight of faith. So it's walking by faith. So we don't walk by sight. We don't walk by what we see. Outwardly wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So this, this revelation gives you tools to fight the good fight of faith. So in the day of trouble, we need to find faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of the Lord. So where does faith rest? Faith rests in that wellspring that is your heart. So these are where the promises of the Lord, the words of the Lord are so important. And here, here's my thesis. I, 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 I think I can prove this scripturally, but I believe in the day of trouble, the Lord will meet you with help. Now, it doesn't mean that that, that help is going to remove the trouble, but he's going to tether you to his heart in the midst of trouble, which will source your heart to get through it. He will source your heart, which will tether you to him to get through whatever you're facing or whatever you have faced. So let me tell you a story. I, I, uh, I grew up in the Church of Christ. And uh, I know, amen, brother. Uh, and Church of Christ, very conservative. Um, like we didn't have instruments growing up. And uh, I'm, I'm, this is my last story, and then we're going to minister to one another. Is that cool? Um, and <clears throat> I, I, got, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, when I was really processing a lot of the trouble I'd been through, a lot of my sexual brokenness, man. The Holy Ghost was so crucial in bringing deliverance and freedom. And so in my pursuit of, of freedom from guilt, shame, condemnation, I met the Holy Spirit. It was like my faith went from black and white, living color. And I, I got a spiritual language, speaking in tongues, which that helped free me a lot from depression, anxiety, OCD, a lot of the things internally I was dealing with emotionally. But I didn't know what to do with this thing. Right? It was like this new thing I had, but I didn't know who to tell about, share with, because in the tradition I was in, you, you don't want to tell people you pray in tongues. And so I ended up leaving the small church, going to a bigger church of Christ. And in this place, there were a couple of guys that actually believed in some of the things of the Spirit. And one of them took me to a conference where, uh, like, Bill Johnson was there, uh, Patricia King, kind of like the, the OGs, just kingdom guys that were talking about power evangelism, power ministry. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. God still heals the sick. Like, I just didn't have a grid for any of this. And I was like a candy in a, a kid in a candy store. Like, I was like, I'm going to start praying for the sick. And, and so I started praying for the sick. I was like, I told the pastor, I was like, hey, I believe God still heals sick. He said, so do I, brother. I was like, okay, I'm going to start praying for people then. And so I became this, like, healing evangelist within my church. If you were sick, people knew, send them to Miller. And I saw, I saw a number of people healed, uh, cancer healed. Uh, we saw deaf ears open up. Like, we saw some significant miracles. I remember in the Churches of Christ, we saw... It was this one service, most conservative service. They still, this had instruments, uh, several services that had instruments. It was one that was still a cappella, which was all kind of gray hairs. And, uh, and I, I was ministering in this uh, 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 service, and there was a guy that had been an invalid for 30 plus years. He had not gotten out of a wheelchair, and we watched him get out of a wheelchair and walk to the front. It was insane. It was amazing. And so, but this was kind of, I was like being known, I was known as like the guy that, they prayed for the sick. And so uh, one day I got a phone call. This was back in the day before cell phones, but I had an office phone. And so the, the secretary calls and I'm like, hello? She's like, Michael, someone's on the phone, and I think you're to take this call. And I was like, okay, uh, what is it? He goes, I'll just let them explain. So I, I pick up the phone, and I'm like, hello? 
And she says, is this a Church of Christ pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a Church of Christ pastor. Who's this? He said, well, uh, my name's so-and-so, and I'm the mom of a 19-year-old who had a dream last night. I'm like, your 19-year-old had a dream. What was the dream? She said, well, my, my 19-year-old son has, uh, uh, was a freshman at the University of Texas. He came home after his freshman year because he was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, and the dream is that a Church of Christ pastor came over to our house, laid hands on him, and he was healed. And <laughs> I know, and I was like, she goes, the first two Churches of Christ I called, they didn't believe in this. And so they referred me to this church because they said, you guys might. And so, so I know, <laughs> that interesting. So this a secretary gets the call, and she's like, oh, this is one for Miller. So they send, send them through to Miller. And, uh, and I'm like, well, well, I would love to come pray for your, your son. What's his name? His, his name's Willie. All right. So I go over to Willie's house. Willie lives in, like, one of the largest houses in Dallas. His family was very affluent. And, uh, and I'm like, I walk in, and Willie, Willie was was bigger than life. He had a massive smile on his face and like made me feel more comfortable in his house around his diagnosis, like just awesome kid. And so he tells me the dream and I was like, well, I'm a Church of Christ pastor and I believe in this. And I start explaining to the family about healing. I walked him through kind of the gospel. We start praying for the family and laying hands on him. And uh, I started invited a couple of friends over to meet Willie. Uh, I just started dating Larissa at that time. I brought Larissa over to meet Willie. Uh, I remember we were going to our first date was Coldplay. We love Coldplay. We, yeah. I was a baller, man. I took her to Coldplay, like, second, second, like, it might have been our first official date. Uh, we had, like, fifth row seats. So, man, I just went up in cred with a lot of you guys. You're like, dang. But anyways, so we've been to how many, we've been to a ton of Coldplay concerts, but we were on our way to a Coldplay concert, just kind of knew her, but Willie lived by the arena, and he, he asked if I would come by on the way to Coldplay, because he loved Coldplay, so we went by, I introduced her to Willie, and um, we just loved, he loved music, he loved all kinds of things. And so, so I developed this friendship with Willie, Willie starts getting better and better and better. January, February, March, April, uh, the doctors are giving him reports that only the Lord could do and give him. It wasn't an instantaneous healing, but... He is definitely getting better to the point that I stopped going over to Willie's house. They're talking about him going back for his freshman year the next fall to redo it at the University of Texas. Willie's on the upswing. Well, I got a call that summer. So met him in February that summer. Got a call thinking Willie is much better. And his mom said, Willie got a, the worst diagnosis he's had. Uh, the cancer is back and it's back in significant form. Can you come pray? And so I show up back at Willie, still bigger than life. How you doing, Michael? You know, we've, I still talk to him, but just not every day like I was. Man, I'm, I'm awesome. What's going on with you? Man, the doctors say this, this, and this. I said, let's remember the dream. Let's remember where we've been. Let's remember what we've been through. And so we start praying for Willie. And, um, and within, like, within like a couple of weeks, Willie's sent home on hospice. So hospice is they can medically do nothing else. It's just quality of life. And uh, in mid-July, Willie dies. Willie dies. And, um, and I, am, I, am, I am not in a good place. Uh, I, I don't realize I'm not in a good place, but I'm not in a good place. It was like a Thursday I found out. And, um, 
And I had to go to church. We had church on Saturday night. I had to go because I was on staff. And I realized I'm not in a good place when I got in the presence of the Lord. I realized my heart is so wonky. And so they're like, they're like stand up. We're going to sing. And I sat down. And, uh, and they're singing songs about God's goodness. And I remember thinking, like, you're good? Like, really? I think you're pretty cool. And the reason why I was like, I think you're pretty cool because you would give a mom a dream whose son had cancer to call a Church of Christ pastor and loop me into this narrative to walk with a kid that I'm going to watch die? Like that's, that's honest to God what I was going through internally. Just being real. You are good, are you? And, and I remember the sermon got up. I went and sat in the corner, like on the floor in the corner. I'm like, the only reason I'm here, God, is because I have to be. And I, this is kind of how I'm pretty honest with the Lord. I've always have been. But I'm very honest this evening. So I, the funeral was the next day. It was Saturday night. The funeral was the next day. And so I wake up. I had to go to church again. Same heart posture towards the Lord. And was with Larissa. And we're driving to this funeral on the highway. I remember it was pouring down rain. And as I'm driving, I remember a dream that I had. And I didn't know a lot of what I shared today. This, is, this, this revelation has come through trial and error. And this was a specific error in my heart's posture towards the Lord in a moment of great trouble. And God in his mercies gave me a dream the night before his funeral after I had been giving it to God. And as I'm driving, I start sharing the dream with Larissa and the dream was this, and, and I, I've since seen this dream. The reason I'm sharing all this is because I think this will help some of you um, in your disappointment and hurt, because I think this dream wasn't just for me. I think it has been for the body of Christ as I've shared it. But in the dream, I was playing golf, and um, that may mean nothing to you, but for me, I love golf. I love golf. It's my favorite thing to, to do. Next spending time with my wife and Jesus, I like being on the golf course. And, uh, and in the dream, I was playing a course called the Dallas National, which the Dallas National is the nicest golf club in the state of Texas. Uh, you, you just can't get on it. But when you're on it, you're given a caddy that carries your bag. Pretty legit. And they wash your balls. They, like, they do all that you need. They get tees for you and wash your clubs and everything. And, um, and in the dream, I'm playing this round, and I am, I am stroking the ball. I'm playing really, really well. And... I get to the 18th green, I'm walking off the green, and down this cart path comes this kid with long hair, tall, and I realize it's Willie, and Willie's smiling from ear to ear, and he's healthy. He comes up to me, and he gives me this hug, and he goes, man, I heard you played a great round at the Dallas National, and I said, I did, and he said, I think you played such a good round, the head pro up there wants to talk to you, and I was like, all right. And I look up, and there's this, this pro shop. And, and so I drive a car, and I go into the pro shop. And I love a good golf pro shop. Like, girls like to shop at malls and online, or you may have your place to go. Me, it's a golf pro shop. Like, there's the, the shirts, the, the equipment. I just, so I walk in, and it's the most immaculate golf pro shop. And I am just, like, in awe. I'm making my way back looking for the head pro. And when I get to the, the desk, the head pro's there, and he turns around. And he had been looking out, you know, over the course, and he turns around, and he's smiling ear to ear, 
And he has these, these translucent blue eyes. Just remember his eyes. And he's staring right at me, smiling. And he said, Michael, I heard you played a really good round at the Dallas National. And I said, I, said, I played okay. And I, I knew I played a really good round, but <laughs> I played okay. <laughs> Whatever. And, and, and he's like, he's like I, I need you to know this, that this isn't a typical round at the Dallas National. And he said, I'm going to give you one of two options. And he said, the first option is to pick a shirt from the rack. And I look, and there's these, again, I'm a golf shirt guy. I love them. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And he goes, you can remember your round by taking the shirt. You can wear it. Or you can play again. And he's got a, another round. And in the dream, I was like, I'm playing again. And I woke up. And as I'm driving to Willie's funeral, mad at God, my heart's filled with sorrow. It's shut down. I'm walled up. I'm that John 2019 disciple. Jesus walks through my walls with this dream. And I'm getting revelation. I just start bawling as I'm driving to Willie's funeral. And, and the interpretation was this, is that, is that the Dallas National to me is heaven on earth. And that's, that's my theology for healing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, 19-year-olds don't die of cancer. And the Lord, in his sovereign plan, I get into this narrative with this family. And I played well. But the head pro is telling me it's not a typical round. And so my choice was to do one of two things. I can take a shirt and remember what happens when 19-year-old kids get cancer. They just die. And I can develop a theology about God, theology about that circumstance, and let it define him as a critical juncture for my heart. Or I can choose faith, surrender it to mercy, and get back to the first tee and play again. And in my heart, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm playing again. And, and I feel like for you, for some, it... It's like the Lord, the Lord wants to deal with your heart in ways that it's been shut down, in ways that it's, it's fallen into unbelief because of what you've been through. And for others, I think he wants to give you tools and truth to process when trouble comes in the future. Because I, I, I have this belief that when it knocks on your door, that the Lord will show up to you and speak to you. He'll give you his word for that moment. Did I grieve Willie? Yes. Did I have to go through a process of still theology and getting in the word and just shoring some things up? Yes. But the Lord met me in that 24-hour period, and it tethered me to his reality of what I was facing. Does this make sense? I could share, I could share a dozen. I'm tempted to a dozen different situations since the Willie situations of death, betrayal, trouble that I've faced, and the Lord has shown up and given me a verse. He's given me a dream. He's given me a phone call from a friend. But I, in those 24 hours, I am asking, Lord, speak. I need your help in this moment. And so here's the invitation. I want us to pray for one another. I want our hearts to get free. Because I feel like the Lord wants to walk through some walls 
and he wants to reveal some holes in his hands and his side so that your heart can flush out sorrow of the past and this joy that only he can bring can emerge so that you can have fresh strength internally. Outwardly wasting away, inwardly, we're being postured to enter into glory and a knowledge of the Lord through what we've been through in light of what he's been through. And so if that's you, if you're like, man, my heart, this is speaking directly to me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come down front and I want you to posture yourself before the Lord and we're going to pray for one another. Is that good? Okay. So can someone come on the piano just for a second? Then we're just going to minister to each other. Thanks, man. What's your name again? Elijah. Of course, Elijah is on the piano. <laughs> Makes total sense. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. No one's moving. That's cool. I'm going to have you put your hands out for a second, and then I'm going to start praying. And, and as the Holy Spirit starts to knock on the door of your heart, I want you to physically respond in faith, and I want, I want you to come forward. I, I feel like it's an altar where you're going to lay certain things down. So Holy Spirit... Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and do some house cleaning in our hearts. Lord, where our hearts have been given over to fear, where our hearts have been given over to, to trouble, even brokenness from, I feel like one of the things as I was praying, it's, it's about parental, family, families that have been broken. And I feel like the Lord wants to bind up the brokenhearted. He wants to bind up the brokenhearted. He draws near to the brokenhearted, but he binds up the brokenhearted. And so, uh, if, if you just, you don't have to come down front. I think we've run out of space. But you just put your hands out before the Lord. And, and I just want you to see an exchange happening. Just Holy Spirit. He wants you to run. <laughs> I feel like you're, 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 you're being led to a starting line. I see a starting line and I see like the guns up and, and, and when that gun, when, when the trigger's pulled and, and the race begins here in two weeks of you entering in to this journey, I just see he wants, he wants you at full strength. He wants you to be able to run the race set before you and he's authoring fresh faith in your heart. He's the author of faith. And he wants to write that faith upon your heart. Your heart is the canvas that he writes his words upon. And I feel like where there's been sorrow, where there's been unbelief, where there's been pain from the past, you're looking to the resurrection. You're looking to the resurrected one, fixing the eyes of your heart and allow the pen of his words, the voice the voice of the one who has overcome. Allow him to author faith in your heart. Where there's been hope deferred, where, where things of the past have just like, gosh, Lord, here's my broken pieces. Here's my ashes. I just see the Lord. He's so jealous for them. Come, 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 Holy Spirit. Come and bind up the brokenhearted, Lord. Where there's brokenness, sexual brokenness, Lord. Lord, where we've been, where we've been uh, victimized, where, where, where we have, have our hearts, Lord, have been through what you saw. I just see you're our defender. 
And Lord, I see you showing up right now and just stepping into that place in our hearts and saying, this part of you is mine. This part of you is mine. I am jealous in love for a wholehearted son and daughter, and I am claiming this as my own. And where you've been broken in heart, you just see him saying, my my work is sufficient to bind this up. And so, Holy Spirit, would you release the life, the resurrection life, the resurrection life, the resurrection life of the cross into your children's heart right now. Oh, I feel that so deeply. Deeper still, Holy Spirit. Deeper still. There's deliverance. There's deliverance. There's deliverance. He's the deliverer. And he wants to deliver your heart. He sets the captives free. And he's saying, come out from that cell. Come out from that moment. For I was with you there. And it's why I came. I came to meet you in that place. And he says, let light shine into darkness. Let my glory be known in that moment. There's a knowledge of me that I want you to have because of what you've been through. And it's under glory. It's under the knowledge of me as your Savior. In Jesus' name, bind up broken hearts. We want to believe, Lord. We want to worship you with a whole heart. It's what we talked about yesterday, Lord. Spirit and truth. And so release that in this room in Jesus' name. Come on, let him love you. Let him love you. Let him love you. Let the jealousies of his love, let the zeal that he has for you touch your heart right now. He is zealous for you, beloved. He is zealous for you. Thank you so much for listening. For more on worship, stay right here on the Fire and Fragrance podcast.